With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the show, Julian DeStoop. With you, top of 28 degrees in Melbourne today, slightly overcast, but uh, looking at the long-range forecast, which can be dangerous, uh, it looks very, very good for the opening days of the Boxing Day test. One man that can't wait for that is our very own Jared Waitley, who joins us this morning to wrap up the first test and look ahead to Boxing Day as well. Hello, Jared. Jules, good morning. How are you feeling? <laughs> I've got a bit of PTSD after five days in isolation in the bedroom. That was just a straight throwback to grimmer times. <laughs> I've been better, but uh, I'll, I'll get there. Uh, let's talk about the pitch uh, first of all. It's a lively deck over there, and there's going to be some sore Aussies uh, in the next couple of days. What do you make it of as a test match pitch? It was a throwback to the characteristics of Perth. That's one of the things that I've been hoping for around the country is we've sort of got to this point of homogenized pitches where old Melbourne's obviously lost its way, but that's trying to be restored. It's been a dung heap in Sydney for a while. Perth last year didn't do anything that you would have expected it to do historically. So to see those cracks open up was, that was quintessential Perth test cricket. Uh, By the end, it was treacherous. Uh, I think when Pat Cummins said they opened up more than anyone anticipated and uh, what more than 20 um, player or more more than 20 times yeah. players were struck on the body. Uh, the the last the, the one that got Mitch Marsh in the ear hole, the second one, mm. which absolutely reared from what he wouldn't have anticipated was going to end up around the helmet. That that's the sort of moment you go, okay, so what's the line between uh, testing and treacherous and and what becomes dangerous? So they're still figuring out the pitch in Perth. That's only the fourth time that we've had a, a test match at Optus Stadium. I, I feel like they'll come away and go, that that just got a little bit too far. And the weather wasn't as hot as probably you would have expected to for it to open up like that. So I, I think they'll try to pair that back a little bit, but it was certainly preferable as a viewing contest mm. to what was served up last year. So a lot of talk out of the test match, of course, has been David Warning's David Warner's first innings ton and obviously what happened with Nathan Lyon yesterday. And we'll touch on that in a sec. But given the way that Wicket was breaking up yesterday, how much credit do we have to give Usman Khawaja for his innings? Yeah, enormous is the bravery that's required, the courage when the ball is doing that and the sort of the intuition and the invention, the adjustment that's required within an inning. So uh, he, he occupied early and then tried to find a way to manipulate. And then toward the end, he was scoring freely as he was obviously given license to chase his 100. So that's splendid skill involved in that. And I thought Mitch Marsh as well, is he was the only batter to be able to impose himself 
uh, in the conditions of that second innings. They, they it dictated to most of the batters, and they they found a way either to survive or uh, to wear their bruises and get whatever runs they could. It is Mitch Marsh got struck twice in the helmet, but beyond that is he he went at the bowling regardless of the conditions he was probably the only player who pulled with any authority as the test went along so both of them were were quite brilliant and you could see it from from the final session of day three when Labashane and Smith both got stuck you could forecast what was going to happen mm. that was going to be no conditions for Pakistan to be batting in that that is so foreign to that batting lineup. Um, and then it progressed into day four, and it, it, it wasn't the least bit surprising that they lasted only the 30 overs in the fourth innings. Just, I heard someone saying this the other day. I can't remember who it was. It might have even been Simon Kadic on Friday. When you watch opposition teams play in Australia, you look at the, the dismissal of the captain yesterday, Sean Masu. Do you sometimes, I don't know if frustrated is the right word, but do, do opposition teams not leave the ball enough when they're playing in Australia? Yeah, Masood was right at the front line of that. Is He was driving with impunity the way that he would in the flat decks in Pakistan. And he did it to watch his dismissal in, in the second innings. He flashed at a drive and then immediately shadowed, no, I should be leaving that. And the very next ball yeah. did the same thing. So that's incredibly disappointing. That, that, that is why it is so difficult to win away from home. And this has been equally true for Australia travelling to the subcontinent for a lot of time. It's why they talk so much about the need to adapt to the conditions that are there. And it can take a little while. So we would expect Pakistan to get a little bit better as this tour goes on. But you have to meld in the history here. This is a nation that has lost 15 straight test matches in Mm. Australia. These conditions just are so foreign to them. They get to see them three times every four years and their players aren't really equipped for it. And they're not, perhaps they're just frankly not skillful enough. So we will expect Barbara Azam to play a, a tremendous innings at some point. Mm. He has done so in Australia before, and there's bound to be a batter here or there. But I just feel like it runs so counter to their natural game. And we saw the wrestle of their captain trying to shelve the natural game and, and just not being able to in the moment. It's been a big build-up. It's been a long wait for Nathan Lyon's 500th test wicket. The torn calf in England certainly didn't help. We were asking the question today about the slow burn of Nathan Lyon. He has been a slow burn for a lot of people. Even afterwards yesterday, he said it was about 40 test matches before he felt really comfortable and, and confident he could be a really good test match bowler. Was he a slow burn for you, Jared? When when was the moment you you was finally sold, if you had to be sold on Nathan Lyon as a as a high-quality test match spinner? Yeah, I think I think the first point to make is that that is a glorious milestone yep. yesterday, and it has been celebrated and recognised as such. There's a great point made that imagine four and a half years after Shane Warne, the greatest spinner the country ever produced, that the four and a half years later a cricketer would come along and he would join the 500 yeah. club. It is just so extraordinarily rare that that would happen. So. Yeah, he, he was a slow burn because he suffered by comparison. The first thing that happened was Australia kept trying spinners and tipping them out because no one could play the role or compare with Shane Warne. So Lyon was able to break that nexus, but he couldn't bowl Australia to victory. So in the fourth innings where Australia had become so accustomed to the spinner doing the business, Lyon couldn't do that for a long period of time. 
And then he started to. There was the, the delayed test match against India because of the death of Philip Hughes. And he did that in Adelaide. That was a big landmark for him. But then he wasn't very good in the subcontinent. Mm. Um, and he was sort of downgraded or dismissed on that front. But then as the years went by, he was able to find a technique and he was able to change his game to be effective there. And even the the um, the tag of the goat. So the finger spinner in Australia, the threshold was so low. Yes. The, the, they put the stats up yesterday. What was it? 143 wickets or 148 wickets? That was the threshold. So he got through that because Australia played him. And it was it was excellent selection to back him in the long term, even though he wasn't quite the bowler that everybody, I guess, wanted from the spinner. But he grew into it. So he was the GOAT, and, and I think Kerry O'Keefe made the point yesterday, there was a little bit of irony att- attached to that when he was given that nickname. Is Yes, he was <laughs> Australia's highest, um, highest ta- uh, wicket taker for a finger spinner, but he, he wasn't a great of the game. And that now he has grown into that. I, I think it's, it's splendid progression of a man. I always think excellence and longevity are tied into a milestone like this. Longevity has been the the hundred test matches in a row before the in, uh, before the innings in England that that sort of marked all of that, and then the excellence that has progressed. And now he routinely bowls Australia to victory, not only on these shores but overseas. So, yeah, the, just the evolution of a cricketer, and he doesn't look anywhere near the end. Um, and I know there's you know there's bold declarations about being able to reach seven hundred yes. and that probably not quite in that camp as we should revel in what we've got but but he is not near the end and that that is rather incredible yeah and every interview he's done since he's torn his calf he's talked about the renewed hunger and and love for the game so you can't see him finishing uh, any time soon just overall the west test a success crowd figures is that a good result a bit under how did you sort of read given there was such a a big talking point around the attendance before this match started I think as a, I think the start of it was promising. The the crowds in the first couple of days indicated that it, you know, there there was a bit of a vibe around the West Test and and getting out and supporting the team being in the stands. So sixteen and a bit, and then seventeen and a half was a really promising crowd on Friday. But it fell away on the weekend. The expectations were that Saturday was going to be the biggest crowd of the Test, and it wasn't. And then it was really disappointing yesterday. So part of that owes to when, you, when you're when you drawn against an opponent like Pakistan, I don't think there's a great deal of faith in buying tickets for day four, so that's problematic. Um, yeah, so a starting point, but Perth needs to be more than that. Uh, and they've got the next two series to prove that. So India and then England, where there really are no excuses. Uh, so hopefully by the time they get to England, the idea of the West Test is embedded and... For three days, at least, there are full stands. But, yeah, it was underwhelming on the weekend when it deserved more than that. As I, I was I was a bit... Sh- well, they were clearly shocked by Saturday's crowd in the forecast that had been done. And then mm. yesterday deserved more, particularly as it built to the climax of, of Lions 300th. So... Yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting time in Perth for its test, um, and I don't think they have answered any of those questions um, with great authority yet. Great test match for the local Mitch Marsh, as we mentioned, uh, man of the match before. But I just want to play you what he said uh, after day three about the potential of going up to the top of the order, like we spoke about last week. Um, 
how do I answer this without making a headline, Cole? If it means I'm playing... <laughs> yeah, that's the way I think, though. <laughs> um, I mean, for me, I appreciate that there's talk about it and um, and eventually we're going to need a new opener for, um, with Davey leaving, but um, I've worked really hard to get back in this side and for me to look forward to having a role as, open, as an opener just doesn't make sense to me. I'm, I love batting number six and... Um, I guess in my last four test matches I've really found my way um, and I guess who I am as a test cricketer and I'm loving it so I'm reluctant to change that. <laughs> he's Jared, he's killed any momentum for Mitch Marsh <laughs> to go to the top of the order. Yeah and I totally understand what he's saying and where he's coming from is he doesn't want to do it and he shouldn't have to do it. Is he has He's bedded down six for the foreseeable future. It was a a battle that he wasn't going to win against Cam Green and then he's been granted an opportunity and he's absolutely seized it. I've never seen him bat better than this because he's never batted better than this. So he's he's a weapon at six. He doesn't want to go and open. It has the risk of shortening a career. It's something that he's worked so hard for and he is is so well suited to be the all-rounder at six. So... Uh, I totally get that. I sort of admire him for saying that because the, the first instinct is to go, well, whatever keeps me in the team. But he's got greater claims than that now. He's not the he's not the fill-in. He's the number six. Um, and others are going to have to find a way in without him needing to move. So, yeah, I, I admired it. There's nobody... Um, volunteering to open right now, is there? No. There'll be interesting conversations behind closed doors as to whether they're being had at all or whether this has all just been done publicly and uh, and the selectors would be would be listening with great interest. Um, it'd be so... I, I often think I'd love to see what their whiteboard is for the for the Adelaide test against the West mm. Indies. Is it, is it a vacant hole or do they have a really firm idea what they're doing? I'm not sure, but it's clearly not going to be Marsh. No. Well, you know Andrew McDonald really well. Uh, do you think it would be a blank canvas or do you think he's got a plan in place already? Uh, so I I would defer a little bit to George Bailey here, who I think has had really good plans. Uh, <laughs> if I was if I'd been having a guess coming into the summer, from what was being said, is I think they were red hot on picking their best six batters, and getting uh, Green back into the team. And I I feel like somewhere in the background the idea of Marnus opening was their preferred option, um, but he's he's bailed out of that. I think they're reluctant to move head because he's so effective at five. Marsh wants to stay at six. So does Green come in and open? Is is his technique good enough to do that? I think that's an open question. Or do they defer to a specialist opener? And when they do it, I, I, I said to you, I think before it all started, they have to have an, an eye towards New Zealand. Mm. So the two tests against the West Indies, I imagine, are pretty straightforward on these shores. The two tests against New Zealand are likely to be on green tops. And that's the last preparation you get to do before India are out here. So there's there's a lot of a, a year to unfold to answer those questions for India. So my, my gut feeling coming into the summer was that they wanted to play their best six batters and that Green would return to the team when Warner was out. I'm not sure who they necessarily had pinned to open. Looking into Boxing Day, Jared Scotty Boland's been a big part of the last two Boxing Day test matches, but um, surely he's not going to feature this time. No, it doesn't appear so, which is such a shame as... Horses for courses, he's he's shown to be the best horse for the course at, at the MCG. Uh, the unfortunate part for Boland is that it's only the second test 
is if it was the third or the fourth, which is the natural scheme yeah. of things, um, Australia would be ready to rotate its fast bowlers to some degree, or there would be wear and tear, and, and Boland would play for sure and certain. But uh, I don't think, having been so comprehensive against that Pakistan side, unless there's anything untoward that we don't know about yet, is that'll be an unchanged team. And just finally, I've got to ask you, I'm sure when you were down on the weekend and uh, watching uh, plenty of sport on the TV, what did you take of what happened at Ascot with Damien Oliver? Yeah, it's as good a farewell in Australian sport as I've ever seen. Uh, the whole day was geared around him and, and every 40 minutes I was flicking across from, from the cricket to see how he would go and, and so he was naggingly close early. And, and like everybody, you're probably thinking, oh, just just one, just give him one for the day and... Uh, and he had two really good winners, which led to the last. And at that stage, if you are a believer in fairy tales in sport, and I am, you're sort of thinking, oh, this will happen here. Um, drawn a terrible gate. So it was going to require all of Oliver's skill and dare to be able to do it. And probably halfway through the race, they hadn't gone hard enough and he was awkwardly positioned and it was going to take a miracle. And then you could just see his unerring judgment as... He gave himself the best possible chance. And then, you know, he can't guard against bad luck. So he needed a couple of things to go his way. But to, to find the gaps, to keep the horse balanced, to surge through, um, it's, as, it's as good as anything I can think of. As There was a, a huge roar went up in, in my bedroom when he found the way through. And great crowd there for him, his hometown, the, the full circle nature of it. Last three rides of his career as a winner, <laughs> the last one, uh, just such a just such an exhibition of all that he has been. No, it's I, I'm yet to actually hear anyone come up with a better farewell in Australian sport. So I know I've been listening throughout the morning, but I, I'm yet to hear one that that's actually better than that. No, so, it's been some good ones. I don't think anyone tops it yet. No, no. and so that that's a pretty. Like, we, we sort of need those who can take us back to the, the 40s, the 50s, yep. and the 60s. But I feel like in, in – um, I, I feel like it's sort of safe to say almost in living memory, that's the best farewell of an Australian sportsman we've ever seen. Yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. Uh, Jared, uh, thank you for your time. Good to hear you back on your feet, and uh, we are already looking forward to Boxing Day. Terrific, Jules. Good on you.